morning. I understand that uh, Corey Miller had a great sermon last week. Yeah, right, yeah, yeah. It, it was interesting. Um, Sunday morning last week, we had worship uh, in Bethlehem, but there's a seven-hour time difference, and later in the evening there, it was about 7 p.m. there, I guess, when you were having worship here, one of our college students um, who goes who's, uh, goes to the University of Louisville, a sophomore at University of Louisville, texted me and said, I went to church today, and it was awesome. Corey had a great sermon. So I, I just want to point out, it's first of all, it's really unusual to have a college student in church. And it must have been a really good sermon for a college student to text me in Israel that the sermon was awesome. So good job, Corey. Um, you want next week too? No, okay, all right, all right. I'm just, at, just asking, just asking. Probably should have given him, yeah, probably should have given him this week too. I'm operating a little bit on, on some fumes. Uh, we, it took us, it's an 11-hour flight uh, from New York to Tel Aviv. And I was up, we were up. I didn't sleep for about 45 straight hours, maybe a little bit on the plane. And so when I got home, I was like, uh, I'm going to try to stay up till 10 o'clock so that I can sort of adjust back to the world, uh, this world. And I sat down and I was watching, I don't know, I don't know, I was watching football, baseball, something or other. This was Thursday night. Thursday night football is what it was. And I had a turkey sandwich. I woke up two hours later with half a turkey sandwich in my mouth. <laughs> I'm like, but of course I did finish it. And then I went to bed. Um, we had a great experience. 20, 22 of us, my wife and I, uh, spent 10 days in Israel. A lot of meaningful experiences. I'm going to talk a little bit about the message today. It won't be the whole message, but part of the message. But one of the really beautiful moments was when we were in the Sea of Galilee. Sea of Galilee is where Jesus preached. It's where he was born. It's where he called his disciples. It's where he drove out demons where he healed the sick. And so we sat on the Mount of Beatitudes, we preached the Beatitudes, and uh, we sailed on a boat on the Sea of Galilee, we did all those things. We went to Capernaum, where he called uh, Peter and James and John to be his disciples. We went to the site where the synagogue was, where Jesus preached, and we stood right there. Men are standing right there, and I'm going, Jesus preached here, good news to the poor. You know, liberty to the captives. We pre it was really meaningful. But what was surprising was that since I was there the last time, they've uncovered a new site called Magdala. Now, that'll make sense in a minute. There was a Roman Catholic priest who, from Mexico who was going to build a, a pilgrimage, a retreat center, hotel there on the Sea of Galilee for people to come and pray and rest and spiritually renew. And whenever you build something in Israel, you have to be very careful because the whole country is uh, an archaeological site. So you just can't just start building. So he prayed this prayer, Lord, if we find something that's going to halt our building program, let it be something fantastic. Well, they found something great. They were digging down and found the remains of a first century synagogue. As far as I know, it's the only first century synagogue still in existence in all of Israel. There weren't at Capernaum. They built one on top of the other. So you're not exactly at the level Jesus was at. 
But they uncovered a first century synagogue with a mosaic in the floor. And it was on the Sea of Galilee. And this particular synagogue, no doubt, there's without any doubt, that Jesus most likely stood in that spot, on that location, and preached and healed and taught. Now, that's really extraordinary to be there. But also, was it connected? It's connected to Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene is often portrayed as a prostitute, but she was not a prostitute. That's a misunderstanding of her story. She was a woman who was not right in her mind. She was possessed by a spirit of seven demons. Jesus meets her, drives out the demons, and Mary Magdalene becomes one of the first followers of Jesus. It's even believed that perhaps Mary Magdalene and some of the other women from Magdala were financial contributors to Jesus' ministry. When Jesus uh, was raised from the dead, it was Mary Magdalene and the women that were at the tomb. The men were nowhere to be found. So what's significant about this particular archaeological site is it they uncovered and discovered it was the lost community of Magdala where Mary and her family was from. And we had this wonderful um, woman. She is studying to be a nun. And what was her name? Mary. And Mary, Mary was there to tell the story. And I loved, I just love this. And it just affirms who we are as a church so much. Is that she said the whole day she spent talking to us about the important role that women play in ministry. In ministry and played in the ministry and the life of Jesus, and that all over the years we have forgotten that role. I thought it was wonderful. Now, there's only one, it was, so it was extraordinary. There's only one problem with traveling with a large group of people. There's always that one guy, you know, that one guy you go, you don't know who it's going to be, but there's always that one guy. <laughs> Roger, raise your hand, Roger. So, <laughs> um, we stopped at this little, um, we're on our way up from the Dead Sea, and we stopped at this little stand to get p- fresh-squeezed pomegranate juice and to eat some dates. And some of us rode camels, and then uh, they were doing, uh, on Roger and the camel, a breathalyzer test. And uh, we, we, we had a really, really great time. I, I will tell you this about the Holy Land. You, you don't have to go to the Holy Land to meet Jesus. You can meet Jesus wherever you are because he's alive and at work in the world. Did you know that when they dug up the grave of the high priest Caiaphas, you know what they found? They found Caiaphas. <laughs> Do you know, what they, you know what they found when they went to the tomb of Jesus? It was empty. You know why? Because he's all over the world. He's in you, he's in me, he's everywhere, all around the world. So today I want to I build on this um, trip I had and relate it to Ephesians chapter 4. Because there's this great line in Ephesians where he talks about how we belong to one Lord, we have one faith, and one baptism. It's a powerful confession of faith about who the church is and what the church is about because Middletown Christian Church is not the only church. We're only a church. 
And when we say we're Middletown Christian Church, Christian identifies us with Roman Catholics and Episcopalians, Armenians, and Bulgarians, people from all over the world. We belong to something that's a lot bigger than ourselves. And so when you go to, you don't have to go to Jerusalem to find God, but when you go to Jerusalem and the Holy Land, the Bible comes alive to you in a way you would never imagine. And you're there with people who are from all over the globe. You'll never hear those, this, this passage the same way again if you've had the opportunity to be there. You also learn that Jesus is one muscular fit dude. Because it's hilly. And he walked everywhere from, he walked, you know, three or four days at a time, up and down and up and down and up and down. He must have had calves like Hulk Hogan, big dude. Iron Man. So here's the scripture. Let's stand for the reading of the word of God this morning, okay? Paul writes, therefore I, a prisoner, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. First point, God has called you to be a part of something bigger than, than you are. He is at work in the world, and we can't see it all. We can only see our little part of it. But we get to be a part of this glorious, beautiful thing he's doing to redeem the world. And the world around us may feel like it's going to hell. The world around us may feel like we're losing hope. The world around us may feel like it's getting darker. But we know, we know Jesus Christ crucified, Jesus Christ buried, Jesus Christ raised from the dead and living in us. We know that hope. You've been called. So he says, because of that, be humble, be gentle, be patient with each other. Make allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourself united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body, one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope in the future. Man, I just want to read that again. That we have been called to one glorious hope for the future. We are a people of hope. Christ is the hope of the world. And we are his church in a world that is often hopeless. And this is the church then. I want you to read this, this next line. I'll read it once, and I want you to read this with me. There is one Lord. There is one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and in all and living through all. We need to say that together. We need to be reminded that his church is bigger than our church, that his plan stretches across the universe, across time, nations, and races. Let's read it together. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, in all, and living through all. However, he has given each one of us a special gift by his generosity. That means we all have our role to play. That's the word. You may be seated. All right. I want to connect two things here in the scripture. It would be absolute spiritual malpractice. For me to preach through Ephesians and only go through the first three chapters. Because Paul does something really important here in chapter 4. The first three chapters, Paul talks about all the blessings that we have in Jesus. 
He doesn't start by talking about what you need to do to earn God's love. He just tells you that he's already given it to you. He's already picked you out. He's already rescued you. He's already redeemed you. He's already lifted you up. He's already forgiven you. He's put you in a good place. He's raised you from the dead, and his spirit lives in you, and you're a part of his church. The whole first three chapters are an affirmation of the good news that we are good because God loves us, and God doesn't love us because we're good. God loves us because God is good. We do not earn grace. Grace is given. And so his book is structured that way. The first three chapters are about what God has done for us. The next three chapters are then, how then shall we live? God has been a blessing to us. Now let's be a blessing to God. So Paul begins chapter 4, and there's three chapters which are, are ethics, how we live. Talks about anger, talks about sexual intimacy, talks about raising kids, talks about marriage, talks about every imaginable thing in your life and what it means to live and to be like Christ in the world. So he says, I beg you then to lead a life worthy of your calling. And the word worthy there is the same word in the Greek which would be used for like a scale. You know, a scale, you put weight here and you put, and it balances out. So God has done this for us. So let's balance out what he's done for him by living a life worthy of what he's done for us. So the question then come, it comes to us, is are we giving our best? And then he lists it out. He talks about being, what does it look like to live a worthy life? It means humility. It means being patient. It means making allowances for other people's faults. Forgiving and forgiving and forgiving and forgiving and being a peacemaker. And then he goes on and says, if you're living a life that's worthy of your calling, you should be doing your very best to imitate Jesus in your actions. Now when people look at you, they'll be able to say, I met David when he was this old. Now David is this old, and he looks more like Jesus today than he did then. Paul says the whole purpose of our life with Jesus is to grow to be like him. That if his spirit is in us, it will begin to show in our life. So he says then, live a life filled with love. Put off the old life. Put off the old way. Put off the old sins. Put off the old clothing. Put on the new clothing. Put on the new spirit. Let his mind and heart renew you on the inside and your attitudes. Get rid of bitterness. Get rid of rage. Get rid of sexual immorality. Get rid of greed. He said the most important thing then is for you to understand what does God want? What does God want for me, for us? And to do what pleases God. That's what the whole rest of the book is about. Beautiful. It's beautiful. But as a part of that, this is what's often missed, is a part of that 
living a life worthy of God is investing yourself in the body of Christ. To realize it's not just you and Jesus. It's you and Jesus and a whole bunch of other people. That's why he talks about humility and gentleness. A lot of this is written to a community talking to them about how they should live with one another. And the thing that I gained this time that I did not the first time I went to Israel was just how big his church is. Let me give you a few examples from our experience. We went to Nazareth, and Nazareth, you may remember, is the place where Jesus lived his life. He was from Nazareth. Born in Bethlehem, but raised in Nazareth by Mary and Joseph. Nazareth is where Mary heard from the angel Gabriel that she was going to give birth to the Son of God. And she says, I will do this, she said. On the site, or near the place where Mary was believed to have had her vision from the angel, they built a beautiful church. It's called the Church of the Annunciation. And they wrote to people all over the world, churches all over the world, and said, will you donate a mosaic of Mary, the mother of Jesus. And so all inside this building and all outside the building, there are hundreds of mosaics, larger-than-life mosaics of Mary, the mother of Jesus, of the Madonna and child from all over the world. Here is one from Egypt. And if you were for Egypt, you would think Mary looks like an Egyptian. Here's one from Singapore, and she looks like she's from Singapore. There was one from Ethiopia. Mary looked like she was dark-skinned. She looked like she was from Ethiopia. You see, the point is, we all think that Jesus looks like, looks like you, looks like me, looks like us. But everybody views Jesus from their own culture and from their own perspective. What that means to me, then, is that he is bigger than one race, and he was called to all people. And you can walk, I remember it was a really powerful moment. I was standing next to some people from Korea, from South Korea. And I mean it. You look at Mary and you would think that she was born in South Korea. It was humbling. Humbling. The next place we went was to Bethlehem. Now you may not realize this, but Bethlehem, the birthplace of Jesus, is a rather sad place. It has a wall around it. It's not considered to be a part of Israel. Basically, they have, it's not a country at all. It's, a, it's sort of a no man's land. If you are born in Bethlehem, you can never leave, except it's very difficult to leave Bethlehem because the people living in Bethlehem are Palestinians. And they belong to no country. They're trapped between Jordan and Israel. And it's a very difficult place to be. But did you know this? That the, the oldest Christian community on the earth is in Bethlehem. The longest standing worshiping Christian community is in the church of the nativity where it's believed that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Now, most of us Americans, when we hear Palestinian, we think Muslim. We think terrorist. We think West Bank. But a significant part of the population, though it's shrinking, they are Christians, Palestinian Christians. The man wearing the green shirt, we met him in Palestine. You have to go through a checkpoint, checkpoint, people, guns, the whole thing. We go in to Bethlehem. He gets on our bus with us, and he's our tour guide. And he took us to a cave in Shepherd's Field, where it's believed that the shepherds saw the vision from the angels. The Savior's been born. 
He explained to us that the shepherds in the field were special shepherds that were raising sheep that would be sacrificed in the temple for the forgiveness of sins. And he told us a beautiful story about the birth of Jesus that I had never heard. It just blew my mind apart. Here I am with a Palestinian Christian who said his dad was a, a Eastern Orthodox priest, that his wife, his wife was Lutheran, that his mother was Roman Catholic, and he says, I'm just a Christian. He took us to an underground cave in Bethlehem on Sunday morning where we shared communion with a Palestinian Christian from Palestine. The beautiful young woman with the dark hair is uh, 22 years old, and she joined Mike and Connie Woods for lunch. She belongs to the Roman Catholic community there. And she sat down with us at lunch to share her life with us, her hopes with us. She was representing the Palestinian Christian community. It was a beautiful moment. Again, humbling. From there, we went to the Jordan River. And it was a joyful moment. Uh, we baptized 18 people, 17 people in the Jordan, the Jordan River. And uh, among them was a young woman named Malia Ray. Malia doesn't go to our church. She's from Minnesota. And this was the first time that Malia has been baptized. She's since joined a church in Minnesota uh, where she is a doctor, but she's actually running a running store now, not practicing medicine, which makes her really cool. We ran around Jerusalem uh, early in the morning. Um, but I baptized her, and she affirmed her faith in Jesus. Now, that was a really special moment, tender and sweet. But right down up the river from us was a whole bunch of people baptizing who were from the Philippines. Another spot on the river, there were people from Mexico being baptized. And we went into the dressing room to get ready in our, in our, our gowns and in our swimsuits to baptize. We heard languages from all over the world. And those words were made, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. We went to this church called the Church of St. Anne's, and we were promptly asked to leave. Um, I'm kidding. St. Anne's is in Jerusalem, and St. Anne's is a beautiful, uh, beautiful church that's dedicated to Anne and the mother of Mary. It's well known for its, acu its acoustics, and so groups go there to sing, and so... We attempted to lead some singing. It did not go well. We sang Amazing Grace, and it was less than amazing. And people were actually appalled by it, I think. Um, there were people who gave up Jesus, and it was terrible. It was really, really terrible. We were sitting there, and I was just, and all of a sudden, this large group walked in, didn't know where they were from. They walked to the front up and stood in front of the communion table. Two guys had guitars, and I said, this has got to be good. And they began to sing. And it filled the space with music and words and spirit. And I looked out at our folks sitting in the room, and just the tears were rolling down our faces. The group singing were singing in Italian. They were Christians from Rome who had come to the Holy Land on pilgrimage like we had. And they were singing, Mary, Mary. Our sweet Mary. And our souls just soared. Then we went to the upper room. And in the upper room, um, it's really not a big room, which is not good to be in it with about 150 people. <laughs> we were crammed with a whole bunch of people. 
um, people, it was a busy day. And you see here us coming down these steps. And you see the people in the red hats. Do you know where they were from? India. Large Christian community in the southern part of India. So where are you from? They said, we're from India. Where are you from? Louisville. Louisville, Louisville Kentucky. Kentucky Derby. But you see what I'm getting at? We tend to think that we're the only ones at this work. We tend to think that we're the only church. We tend to think that the world is very small. But what happened is that Jesus, when Jesus came, he did not, he did not put himself in a building. He put himself in people. And how do people know who we are? They know who we are because we're living his life. We're living the life that he taught. We're called to live a worthy life. He came and died on the cross for our sins. He came to be the Savior for the whole world, not just our world. He came and called all of us to him. We're Roman Catholic, we're Ethiopian, we're Bulgarian, we're Honduran, we're Indian, <laughs> we're Pentecostal, we're disciple, we're all these things all over the world. And we may see things differently, but we have one common calling and passion. And that's what brought people to Jerusalem, was to connect to this common heritage that we have in Jesus who lives in all and through all. And so when Paul here talks about living a life worthy of what we've been called to, being called to this glorious hope, that's what he's talking about. Being a part of his church in the world. And we're a part of it. The Western Wall is an exposed part of the Temple Mount. Now, I can't explain this to you because it took our guide three hours to get it. I couldn't get it. It's complicated. They're basically in Jerusalem. There was the first temple that was built by Solomon, and it was destroyed. A second temple was built by Ezra and Nehemiah, and it was then expanded by King Herod. Okay? King Herod came into Mount Moriah and leveled the top of the mountain and then built a platform. And what you're looking at is the plat just the platform that the temple was built on. It's an amazing achievement. There's a stone in the platform that equals the weight of two jumbo airliners. It's massive. It equals about two of these, three of these pews in length. Amazing. He built this. The Romans came in 70 AD and destroyed all of it. All that's left now is just this one part of the wall, and we're standing about halfway up in the wall. So Jews go there to pray for the building of the third temple, the restoration of the temple, because on that site now there is, it's a Muslim holy site, and there's a mosque where the temple was. So they go, they pray for the restoration of the temple. I'm talking to a guy in this picture that I met who is in the Israeli army. Everybody in Israel, serves in the army for three years after college. And uh, he immigrated from Brooklyn because he wanted to immigrate to his home country. His grandparents came to the United States, dirt poor, built a life for his family. He's now going back to serve his country, his homeland. I asked him, I said, do you know what you're standing on? He said, no, I don't know, I don't know. I said, do you realize what you're standing on? He goes, no, what is it? I said, when the Romans destroyed the temple, I mean the temple, where the Ark of the Covenant was, okay? Where the Holy of Holy was. They pushed it over the wall into the valley below. They built a city on top of it. Where am I standing? On the remains 
of the temple. It was a really powerful moment between me and him. But this is where it hit me. I then realized, and I said to our group later, I didn't say it to him because it wouldn't make sense to him, but I said to our group, I said, they're praying, they're praying, they're praying for the building of the third temple. But we know it's already been built. The prayer has already been answered. Where did he build that temple? Anybody know? Paul says that when the temple curtain was torn in two from the Holy of Holies, the Holy Spirit left the building and took residence inside of people. And on the day of Pentecost, when people gathered in Jerusalem to hear the gospel preach and people gave their lives to Jesus, they were baptized for the forgiveness of their sins. They received the gift of the Holy Spirit and scattered to all parts of the earth. So, you know, when you would go to Israel, you know, you can see a great fortress that Herod built on top of Masada that's in ruins. And you can go to Herodian where Herod was buried and see his great palace he built there. Or you can go to Caesarea by the sea and see the great port he built there. Or you can go to Jerusalem and see the great temple. All of them are in ruins. And the great King Herod is dead. But Jesus and his power and his presence was not meant to fill a building made with human hands. But he lives all over the earth in the temples that he's building every single time someone welcomes him into their heart as their Savior and their Lord. Amen.